The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more, SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan-friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto-friendly. They've all been well-researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT2020 at SlayRx.com for 10% off. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach. I'm a college professor. I'm the father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete. I am a mom to three girls, and I'm also a CPA. Michelle, I'm glad Hi, to George. see you. <laughs> my mom. So, so, so my, my mom, actually, the other day, uh, I was talking to her about, about quarantining and locking down and all that sort of thing. 
And she said something about how, oh, well, then when all the people come over to your house to do your recordings and stuff, and I was like, no, mom, like I've hardly seen these people in six months except for on Zoom. <laughs> right. Everything is just on Zoom. <laughs> so, pretty much, pretty much. I got a got a, a invitation today to an end of semester party on Zoom. Yeah, I mean, I still haven't had any face-to-face meetings with clients since March. So yeah. pretty much do everything over the internet. Um, yeah. I do grocery shop in person now. I just think it's way easier than ordering online, but all meetings and everything, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, yeah, mm-hmm. all day, every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, me too. And then we're actually like, you know, transitioning into next semester because, you know, college campuses, most college campuses around the United States are sending kids home for Thanksgiving and not bringing not them back. Bringing them back, right? Yeah, and so 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 we're we're stopping our Thanksgiving early, and of course there's or start stopping our semester early, finishing our semester early, and so we're kind of in the throes of the last week of the semester and into final exams and all that sort of thing here in early to mid November. So it's kind of a strange feel to before Thanksgiving to be talking about final exams and beginning to think about planning next semester and all that sort of thing. So. Um, so then what's the protocol for bringing them back after Christmas vacation? Uh, there's not one. A risk yeah. kind of? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, and, and, and depending on how things go between now and January 12th, which, which is when I think the first day of class is, uh, there might be some sort of protocol instituted. Um, but, but for the plan right now is, is we're just going to kind of start the semester again. Um, the semester next semester is going to be classes are going to be offered the way they were this semester. And that means that some of them are going to be virtual on my campus that never had virtual classes before. Most of them are going to be hybrid, um, which means that you basically spend about one fourth of the amount of time in the classroom that you normally would spend. Um, and you wear a mask and you're socially distanced from all the people around you. So um, we're, we're continuing all the, the safety precautions that we had throughout the course of this semester into next semester, which of course is necessary because even though we sure. have good news this week about vaccines, um, uh, the earliest that most of us are going to have the vaccine is, is probably the latter part of next spring, spring semester. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I did have somebody reach out to me today. I don't know if you had the similar thing. I had somebody reach out to me today and, and, and say, all right, with this vaccine announcement, I am now thinking I want to run a marathon in May. He said, I think it's probable that this marathon is actually going to happen with the vaccine announcement. And maybe once they're able to vaccinate the high risk people, and then maybe like the second phase of people, um, then things will be deemed safe enough that we can start having sort of like mid range events or, or sort of medium risk events, that sort of thing. I think it's a good assessment. I think time will tell. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to see anything like a Boston Marathon. I mean, we know mm-hmm. we're not going to see that till the fall um, at the mm-hmm. earliest, but even then we haven't set a date for that. But I think that by next May, you know, a lot of the smaller races or, you know, big city, big running clubs have been able to adapt enough that I think there would be a potential for, you know, some mid-sized marathons to actually be run in person once we get out of winter. Um, I mean, I think there's a few happening right now. So I think that will probably just continue to build, um, even if things do, you know, get progressively worse as we get deeper into winter. I mm-hmm. think kind of there'll just be a, a small pittering of of stuff to do. So I think I think you'll find more options in the trail stuff. But I would assume if somebody wanted to run a marathon by next May, that you know, starting to look for one in January would be probably worth investigating. Yeah, I, think I don't know so where too. you're going. But so. I think there'll be something to run. <laughs> so, <laughs> so well, so I, so I actually signed up for a marathon in April. Uh, Eugene. I when did sign Eugene? up for the Eugene marathon. Did I tell you that or not? 
I can't remember what I told you. You told me that. <laughs> All right. I told you that. Yeah. I signed up about two weeks ago. I signed up for the Eugene Marathon. It's on April 25th, April 26th, something like that. So I kind of figured that that it's in Oregon and it's in, it's in a college town in Oregon. So I, I figured that, that with that, they're only going to stage the race if it's safe. Um, sure. and, and if they don't stage it, they'll probably take care of us in, in terms of deferring and all that sort of thing. In fact, it's said before I even signed up, hey, if we end up not being able to have this race, we're going to give you the opportunity to defer. Um, yeah. Oregon is the 50th out of 50 states for me. I've been to 49 out of 50 states in the United States. Um, and so this would be a good way to go and see Eugene and do a marathon and check my 50th state off the list. So yeah, so, so I actually follow Kate Brown, who's the governor of Oregon and Twitter. So I think really? she's done it. Yeah, I don't know, I'm fascinated by her, but that's a different conversation. But I think she's done a really good job. It's a conversation of it. I kind of want to have, even though though I, I, I'm- This is not I, the most pleasant politics podcast, so. Point taken, yes indeed, yes indeed. You're right, you're right. Um, but I think, you know, I don't think you would see that marathon happen unless it was going to be done right. with, you know, right. a safe uh, protocol. So. I agree with you. No, I agree with you 100%. And, that, and that's, that's, that was a big part of my calculus as well. Um, so, so yeah, I'm hoping to do that. I'm, I'm still racing my bike on Zwift a whole lot right now. Uh, the Zwift season one of the first ever Zwift racing league is going on. And I am by far the weakest person on my team, which is something that I'm not totally accustomed to, but it's been a good learning experience for me so far. Um, Who are these other people on your team? They are spread out throughout the United States. One of them, a couple of them are in California. One of them is in North Carolina and stuff like that. And we all kind of come together on Zwift at 7:45 on Tuesday nights, and and we do our race against people from all over the world as well. So. And how so. do you get put on their team? Like, does it use the Zwift metrics to pair you guys up, or? Okay, just... so so Zwift tells you, or not Zwift, but a companion site right. to Zwift called Zwift Power actually tells you what category you belong in. Um, okay. because you can imagine somebody who's really accomplished would might want to say, Oh, well, I want to win every race. And so I'm going to race in the beginner category. Right. Yeah. And it um, wouldn't let you do that. It, it doesn't let you do that. And so it says, this is the category in which you have to race based upon your power numbers and Zwift. And so, so the category in which I I'm, I'm required to race, I basically just sort of put some feelers out to say, okay, wh what are some teams out there? Cause this Zwift racing league, it requires you to actually be on a team. Um, and I happened across a team that had a European component, has an American component and a few others and, uh, and joined their, their Facebook page. And the, the director of the team's name is Quentin, which is the same name as my son, which I took as a good sign. <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, it's, it's predominantly a European team. Uh, it's called Vision. Um, but, uh, but joined up with them. And then we had enough people that signed up in my category um, that, that were able to, that were able to, to field a full team of six riders, um, for all the races on Tuesday nights. And so, um, That's pretty so yeah, cool. it's been interesting. Yeah. So do you know you're going to lose every Tuesday? I know I'm not like, going to win. You know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sounds better, yeah. I guess. Well, than okay, so, here. so they, they, they have a, they, they, they've alternated a, a road race and then a team time trial, then a road race and a team time trial. And the first week, this let's see yesterday was it was a road race and so it was week five was was yesterday was tuesday um okay. and um week one uh and week two i was still not in great shape because i took a little bit of time off after blue ridge relay and and just kind of got out of shape and stuff like that and it showed um and so that was not great um week uh well that was week one week two i was better okay week three i sat on the bench 
um, <laughs> because we had a lot of people and I volunteered to sit on the bench because I, I, I figured I could train through the week and get in better shape. Week four was super frustrating because I was all ready to go and I had an app failure, like the Zwift oh, app no. failed on me. And so I wasn't able to start the race, which is profoundly frustrating, particularly when you like build your whole week around this race and everything, you know, and as far as your training goes and stuff, but it's also just kind of the nature of cycling. Like in cycling, people train for years and years and years to win a grand tour and they'll get a flat at the wrong time. It reminds me of that over, YouTube yeah. video, video of the Tim and Rennie show when she <laughs> exactly. was racing and he walked behind and just exactly. like unplugged her. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and so, so that's just kind of part of what you have to deal with. You know, I mean, I know a guy who did Ironman Florida this past weekend and he got a flat tire in the last five or six miles of the bike ride. I mean, this is just sort of part of what you deal with in, 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 in cycling and bike racing and in triathlon. Um, it's just in a different way because you're in your house and the real danger is the, the electronic, you know, online yeah. platform. Um, and then last night was a super hard race. Um, but I did pretty well, had some mechanical issues again, um, but did, did a little bit better and was happy with how I did next week is a team time trial that I'm excited about. Cause I finally feel like I'm fit. I, I think I've gotten most of my technical issues worked out. I'm excited about next Tuesday. So we'll see cool. how it goes. So we didn't plan to talk about this, but Ironman Florida this past weekend. So how did they we, pull that off? What did they do? I saw there was a swim, right? So there was a swim, a bike and a run. As a matter of yeah. fact, it was, it was a full-blown Ironman. Yeah. Since you ask about this, I reached out to a guy I know, uh, Charlie Sprinkles Holder. Um, his nickname is Sprinkles. And I actually gave him that nickname and it stuck, which is one of the accomplishments inside the endurance world that I'm really proud of. Um, but I reached out to him and asked him what it was like at Florida at Ironman Florida, because he completed his first Ironman at Ironman Florida, uh, just this past weekend. So let me uh, play that audio of the conversation that I actually had with Charlie. It is my pleasure to welcome onto the most pleasant exhaustion podcast, Mr. Charlie sprinkles holder, Charlie, welcome. Thanks George. Charlie did uh, Ironman Florida this past weekend, and it was your first Ironman, right? Correct. Yep. Right After on. seven years of sprints and Olympics and some halves, I decided to, to take the plunge. Right on, man. Right on. But it's not as if you're a stranger to extreme events. I mean, you did uh, Chicago and Berlin and New York all over the course of a 36-day period in 2019. Isn't that right? Yeah, I I frequently like to torture myself as as much as possible, <laughs> as as often as possible. Right on, right on. Well, you know, we had uh, Robert Hudson came on last year, uh, who lives in Korea, and he did that same triple last year as well, and he actually turned out pretty well for him. I think it turned out pretty well for you too, right? Yeah, I mean, I ended up wearing a boot at the end of the last one for two <laughs> months, but my my nagging ankle pain is now completely gone. So apparently all it took was running three marathons to uh, get me to sit down for a little while. There you go. There you go. You need, you need something to push you through the looking glass. So right on, man. Very right. good. Uh, well, congratulations, uh, Iron Man. Um, we brought you on because we wanted to hear about some of the, uh, the safety protocols that Iron Man Florida put in place and how they looked and how they felt to you and all that sort of thing. Before we do that, I, I feel like I do need to ask you, how'd the race go, man? Your first Iron Man. I think it went well. Um, I was really happy with the swim. I was a little disappointed, I guess, would be maybe the best word for the bike, but it's only because I had to slow down. My stomach just wasn't complying. Um, my nutrition was a little bit off. 
based on all the precautions in place, I ended up accidentally leaving some of my nutrition in transition. So I had to take what was on the course and Mm. it just wasn't what I was used to. And I think that that kind of contributed to a little bit of a a little bit of issues. And I got a flat at 105. So I almost made it back, but it changed it pretty quick. And then the run, I mean, I knew that after my my bike crash at the end of August and taking really all of September off. Um, but it was likely going to be a slow marathon and it was first Ironman. I'm not going to try to podium, you know, we want to honor Bethany and we just want to get it done and, and have fun. So, you know, I kind of took my time and got to see all the people that came out. Right on, right on. Um, I think that was smart. Now you said honor Bethany and I want to talk about that real quick. Can you talk a little bit about honoring Bethany and being part of the Atlanta tri club and why it is you ended up at Ironman Florida? Yeah, Bethany Rutledge um, unfortunately passed away. She was a, a partner and part owner of the Atlanta Triathlon Club, ran Energy Lab, our, our bike studio. Um, you know, her and her husband and two kids um, lost her in her sleep unexpectedly, you know, a year and a half, almost two years ago. And this was one of her favorite races. We wanted to plan something big for her to honor her and, you know, what she's done for our club, what she's done for women in triathlon. And we put together a list of mini races for 2020 that just unfortunately had to kind of stop after the third one because, you know, the world shut down. But we kept training and as races got canceled, we adjusted our schedules and fortunately Florida was able to happen and we wanted to go down there. Those of us that were kind of still left and hadn't deferred. So we put on some some Bethany tattoos. We had some special kits and shirts made. And, you know, we just thought about her and, and, and John Rutledge and their kids, you know, during the race. Very cool. Very cool. I'm glad you did that, Charlie. And I appreciate that. And I, I, I definitely um, miss Bethany Rutledge a lot. Um, and she was somebody who, who contributed a, a lot of positivity and, and intellect to the uh, endurance sports community here in Atlanta. Um, and so, yeah, um, and yeah, like you said, was was uh, one of the the early founding partners of of uh, the Atlanta Tri Club, and so really le- left a big impact on our community, um, and and left a big hole in it when she unexpectedly died last year. Um, and so yeah, I appreciate you doing that, and I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something we act we hadn't actually talked about prior to, to to recording here. So yeah, very good. Well, you mentioned that Ironman Florida was actually able to happen, um, and which is good. Um, but they put a lot of, of precautions in place. And so um, I had reached out to you and, and, and asked you if you could explain a couple of them to us um, and, and just how, of course, how they looked. And so I guess maybe we should go like chronologically. Does that seem to be the way that makes the most sense? So usually there's, of course, a, a big expo and check-in and all that sort of thing. Did they have that stuff right. there in Florida? Yeah, so they still had... Um, a version of the expo. I wouldn't necessarily call it anything that you would recognize. They still had, you know, packet pickup and, and bike check. I think the biggest thing was that only athletes were allowed in all of those. So no spectators, no family, I, I guess volunteers, but um, only athletes. And it was mask mandatory everywhere. If you were going into any of those areas, you were sanitizing and getting your temperature taken. So they were trying to limit the number of people that were coming in and coming out. And you actually had to sign up for a time on Wednesday or Thursday to come get your packet. So they wanted to space everybody, thinking that everybody's going to want to come at a certain time. They don't want the very first earliest one. Maybe they want the last one. Right. Um, they also had 
Florida Gulf Coast 70.3 happening at the same time. So that was even more of a reason, I think, to to space everyone out instead of 11 or 1200 people, they tacked on another six or 700. Uh, I don't have the exact count, but it seemed to work pretty well. You know, we waited mm -hmm. six feet apart. We got our temperature taken. They gave us a nice mask, you know, as some swag, Iron Man branded. Um, and you could kind of come and go as you wanted mm -hmm. to get the bike check, to see the Iron Man village, go to registration, go to transition, go to the finish line area, kind of get a lay of the land. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, so mass required, like you said, there was there was social distancing of the waiting, the appointments to coming in. You mentioned there they, they gave you an Ironman branded mask. Yeah. In a, you know, in the swag that we got, we got a, a nice book bag or transition bag. I don't know why I call it a book bag. I got too many kids <laughs> running around for school. Uh, they gave us a nice transition bag. They gave us a mask. Um, they gave us a hat. Um, they gave us a $25 voucher that we could spend anywhere, just like a Visa gift card. So I just bought more stuff at the village. <laughs> That's probably what they had in mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they had some deals with some local restaurants. It was a $25 voucher. You know that sheet of paper that they give you that sometimes gives you tickets to mm -hmm. go get someone else's biking gear? Well, they didn't have those available because okay. it was athlete only. But it did have a list of restaurants that you could go see and an additional $25 voucher at these restaurants that had kind of partnered with the Ironman brand uh, in the, in the local front beach area. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very good. Very good. Um, and then you also said, and this is something that I've read in several places is really critical that, that if you showed up without a mask, they would give you one, right? Not like the, the Ironman swag mask, but just like a regular paper disposable right. mask, right? Yeah, they did have the the blue and white kind of surgical hospital looking masks. They had those on hand and they would force you to wear it. I, I say force, because even though I'm in agreement with it. Um, you know, nobody was really kind of turned away to go get a mask. They had plenty on hand and hand sanitizer stations at every major corner. All volunteers were masked, masked and gloved up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think that's such a critical part of the whole thing. If you're going to expect somebody to yeah. wear a mask, you have to be like, okay, here it is. You know, uh, so, right. so you can't just say, Hey, go sanitize your hands. You need to say, here's some hand sanitizer, use it. Um, that sort of thing. So, so, I'm, so it I'm, would I'm be nice glad to hear that to assume that it would be nice to assume that everybody already had their own mask and were <laughs> practicing mm -hmm. those precautions already in their own mm -hmm. personal lives. But uh, I'll take an extra man. You know, I, it's fine. I, I agree. I, I agree with you, but but that's a dodgy assumption right now. I'm afraid. So so yeah. All right. So you mentioned this a second ago. The Ironman team always gives a ticket to you in your um, packet that enables somebody else to come pick up your bike for you, just in case you're incapacitated after an Ironman, which is perfectly understandable. You said that that they didn't right. have those. You had to actually pick up your own bike after you had finished the Ironman. Correct. No matter what time you finished, uh, there was like a cutoff of 1230. I think that that was mostly for keeping watch over your stuff. You know, they would staff some volunteers to make sure that nobody was coming in and, and taking anything. But, you know, after the, the 17 hour cutoff, after they start tearing everything down, I think there's just kind of a limit how long they're going to hang around. So even if yeah. you finished at 1215, you know, and you got to cross the line and, and hear Mike <laughs> say congratulations on finishing and instead of those other four words you know you still had to turn right around and, and go get your stuff so mm -hmm. i think that was okay um they gave you some food gave you some drink they gave you a medal and a shirt in a bag 
They didn't pin anything around your neck. Mm-hmm. So it was really kind of up to you to, to mask up at the finish line and make mm-hmm. your way through T3 <laughs> mm-hmm. and get over and uh, get your gear. But mm-hmm. your family was likely waiting for you outside of transition. Okay. So you just had to kind of make that, that short walk over there to the parking lot. Gotcha. Very good. Very good. So you mentioned you crossed the finish line. They, they handed you your, your, your t-shirt and your hat, which is a common Ironman thing. You get your finisher t-shirt and your finisher hat, like right there on the finish line, but they just handed it to you in a bag. Right. And then your metal, yep. they just kind of handed you your metal as well, rather than putting it around your neck. No, it was also in the bag. Oh, yeah, okay. it, was it was also, also in the, the bag. bag. So Very good. I was lucky then, enough to have my, uh, my girlfriend volunteering at the finish line. And since we're in close contact <laughs> relatively frequently, she actually did hang it around my neck, but I would say for, you know, 99% of folks crossing the finish line, they were just handed a, you know, a clean, no touch bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the finish line at, at the finish line, the food itself, you said it was, a, it was like a boxed food, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I Disney's can't remember been doing that for a while. What, yeah, I can't remember what restaurant it was from, but they had a nice, I think it was Firehouse. They had a nice sub sandwich in there, some cookies, some chips. People would set out drinks. You would just take one and then they would replace it. There wasn't like big bins that everyone was reaching in and touching. And at least when I finished, um, you know, just under 13 and a half hours, I don't remember what time I finished, but the sun had definitely already set. There wasn't really any body hanging around. You know, they wanted you to just make your way through, stop for a few moments, catch your breath, get your picture taken on the wall, and then. Right on. Right on. Right on. Um, and, and I think that's so. So that that leads me to two other things. One, you mentioned the family outside of transition, and so I know that they, you know, it's a massive course, of course. You know, one hundred forty-six yeah. or one hundred forty point six miles of course. They didn't close down the whole course to to the crowd, but they did right. keep the crowd out of some places, right? Yeah, the entire. Ironman Village, the entire finish line, a lot of the area around transition, family members had to walk quite a long way sometimes because they were not allowing them to cut over the course. You know, a lot of times you might be able to kind of wait for an opening during the run or the bike. Um, the bike was largely, you know, the complete opposite direction. The, one, the run was right there on Front Beach, you know, next to the water. But you couldn't cross the run at all right there. They were policing it pretty heavily around run special needs and transitions. So sometimes you had to walk quite a ways to get to where you wanted to go, which I think is just, you know, for the transition area. There's a lot of people there. There's a lot of stuff there. Once you get out on the bike course, once you get out on the run course, hopefully there's no drafting, though they do call Florida a draft test sometimes. But, you know, with the, better, I think. Right, with the way everyone's starting, you know, a few people every five seconds, I think, I think the course was well spread out in terms of bike and run, despite, you know, everything that's going on. Right on, right on. Very good. Very good. And then speaking of, of spreading out and stuff like that, how did the actual start itself work? So they called us from our bikes. We stayed at our bikes, masked up. Most people had wetsuits on. Some people had swim skins and we were called in groups, anyone under an hour, then anyone under 70, then anyone under 80 and 90 minutes. And so we came out in, in large droves thinking that we don't really want anyone swimming over each other, right? So if everybody self-feeds correctly, if we get all the, the faster people up front, you know, we can just have everybody swimming and, and nobody's really catching each other that much. Mm-hmm. And we all filtered into these three large lines with tape and things spray painted on the ground. So we knew what six or eight feet apart was. And then they 
basically corralled us in these shoots. So they had eight or nine or 10 shoots on the beach, big stakes and like police tape type of, of setup. You were still masked. They had trash cans at the first timing mat and three people at a time every five seconds or so, uh, you know, with 1100, 1200 people, it didn't really take any time at all. I think everyone got in the water before seven o'clock when we went off at six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so you, so you drop your disposal mask there in that very last yep. bin. You go across the timing mat yep. directly into the water. Um, yeah. Right. Very good. Very good. I, I the 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 impression that's developing in my head um, is is actually um, they went to pretty great lengths. I mean, is 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 that is that your impression too? I mean, it sounds like they 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 really went um, to great yeah. lengths to make sure they put on a safe race. Yeah. And I mean, they had volunteers making sure that people were staying apart. I personally got called out trying to find the rest of the Atlanta triathlon club participants. I lost them right there at the start. I was a little confused about what I was supposed to do with my morning clothes bag. So I had to go back and put it at my bike. And then, you know, we're all trying to find each other and come to find out their little group photo right there on the esplanade or whatever you call it i was walking through the background trying to find them so there's a there's a photo of everyone looking at the camera and then there's me lost in the background walking through and i had no idea you were um, in the group photo but so i was trying yeah and so i was trying to find them up ahead i i you know was cutting in line quote unquote and one of the volunteers was like cut that out six feet apart you know you right on. you know you missed your shot to go up there so you need to just stay where you are so I think they did a good job, you know, the best they could facing everyone out, you mm-hmm. know, directing us with, you know, large corrals, giving everyone masks, making sure that hand sanitizer was, um, you know, part of the, the layout. Um, mm-hmm. I think overall they, they did a, a pretty good job. Awesome. Very good. Very good. And I know that like you talk about the volunteers enforcing it when I was in the Blue Ridge Relay um, and I talked about this a, a few podcast episodes ago, they had some really good pod, uh, some really good procedures in place in the Blue Ridge Relay. But ultimately, it came down to the volunteers to enforce it. And there was right. a great deal of variance in how much they were enforcing it. And generally speaking, they didn't the volunteers didn't enforce it very much. And, and that, that was frustrating to me. Uh, as someone who was, who was competing in the race. Um, and so, yeah, um, that's good that, you know, they had their volunteers actually calling you out and enforcing those rules. Um, so right on. Yeah. There was a few people here and there that I think were a little bit more lenient. There were some aid stations to me that were mm-hmm. a little dicey and I made some comments to make sure people were wearing masks and gloves, especially since they're handling water and Coke right. and, mm-hmm. and chips, things that are going into people's mouths. But right. I would say the vast, vast majority of volunteers across everywhere were gloved up and masked up. Um, you know, as the day goes on, I think people are tired and, you know, maybe sure. they forget, um, you know, they're, they're working, you know, maybe not as hard as the people swimming, biking and running, but they're on their feet, you know, for a four or eight hour session. So give them a little slack. Can't be mad at them, but, you know, just hopefully a friendly reminder that we, we would like to stay safe as much as possible. Right on, right on. Very good. All right. And then one other aspect of the whole thing that we didn't talk about that I know was different too, from the email that you sent me, transition was a little bit different. So normally in Ironman, you have all these bags, right? And people always post pictures of their bags the night before that that are all packed up and ready to go. And then usually you come out of the water and you grab your bag and you go into a big closed tent where everybody's in there sweating and humid together post-swim. You change into your bike clothes, you run back out 
you get on your bike, you do your bike, you come back in, you grab another bag just off a rack, um, you know, that, that, that you had, you had placed there earlier. Um, and, and then you change in this big tent again, but they did it differently this time, right? Correct. There were no changing tents. Um, they still had the normal setup for bike and run special needs on the course, but your bike gear bag and your run gear bag that you would grab off the wall, they were just supposed to be on the ground next to your bike, along with your morning clothes bag. Um, you weren't supposed to lay anything out. They were supposed to stay closed, uh, in, in the drawstring bags that they give you. And you just run to your bike and change right there. Um, they made a point to harp on, you know, public decency and making sure there was changing towels that were on hand, you know, from the athletes, they didn't provide anything like that. Um, so I would say that's the biggest difference for me. I didn't know anything different. It seemed like a normal 70.3 or, or sprints or Olympic. I'm used to just getting out of the water and running into my bike. So, Mm -hmm. um, knowing that that was supposed to be a thing was a little confusing because I wasn't sure in the beginning, you know, how much was going to change. Um, and like I said, it caused a little bit of confusion where I actually took my morning clothes bag with me and had to go back, but I think it worked pretty well. You know, they ended up changing the finish line and the transition area, you know, a number of weeks out to a bigger parking lot right next to the pier so that we could have more space. Um, yeah. Right on, man. Very good. Very good. All right. So, so last question I have for you, and I, I really appreciate you coming on here, uh, Sprinkles, and talking to us about what it is you experienced there. I know that you have been taking um, the the pandemic seriously, and I know that you've been taking seriously uh, precautions and, and all that sort of thing, as have I. Um, given all of that, what is your judgment of, of how they did and how, how well they kept it safe? I think they did really well. Um, I would personally make a few changes. I think that they could have spaced the bikes more. It didn't really feel like anything was different in terms of how much space was between the bikes. When I heard they moved transition, I was expecting a lot more space. It seems like a normal rack setup. Um, It seems like maybe we should have been able to hand off some of the bags to our family, especially our morning clothes bag. We don't really need that again. It's just taking up space in transition. If they're worried about, you know, contacting uh, against bags, why not get one of those out of there, you know, to give it to somebody that is going to be able to hold on to it. Um, and then, you know, the aid stations distancing, I really had to self police, right. I had to make sure that I was taking care of myself going to a table that didn't have five people at it all clamoring for whatever they were putting out. So it caused a little bit of hold up at some aid stations and maybe they could have done layouts differently, but, I, I give them, you know, two thumbs up. They have a lot more experience than I do. It was my first Ironman. They've been doing this for a while. So overall, I would give them, you know, something in the A range. You're the professor. You'd have to tell me what a valid grade is. <laughs> right on. Um, but I think that's good. Do people good. still get and minuses and pluses? So, so it depends on the school. It depends on the school. Um, <laughs> so, so at the school where I work, we don't do minuses and pluses, no. But, but I know at the University of Georgia, they do do minuses and pluses for sure. Um, but Georgia Tech, where we both went, I don't know if they do minuses or pluses these days or not. But What's a good um, word? <laughs> so, so I know the good word. So do you. To hell with Georgia. Right on. <laughs> Good call, Charlie. Um, so, so yeah, I, um, I, I think that, that, you know, you mentioned they've been doing Ironmans a lot longer than you have. That can be both a benefit, but I think it can also be a hindrance um, that, that somebody's right. like, well, this way we've always done it. And this, this whole pandemic thing right. is a bunch of BS. And so we're just going to, going to do it the way we've always done it. And so, you know, kudos 
from what you describe here, kudos for them to, to for, for really, as I said before, going to great lengths to, to ensure that this was safe um, and, and making sure that they were taking the precautions that are necessary to be taken during a time when, unfortunately, cases are surging right now in the United States. So um, very good. Yeah, I think there's something, you know, about people's willingness to change and, you know, the sake of tradition or, or something like that. You know, if you're not taking a fresh look at everything you do in your personal life or even in business, you know, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Even just the opportunity to evaluate what you're doing and say, no, this really is the best way to continue doing this. I think is a great exercise for anyone to do, you know, in a variety of topics, you know, again, in their personal and business life, the accounting software that you're using working is the software that you're using to record this, the best software out there, you know, something can change. And I think it's important, you know, to, to take feedback and, you know, allow the people who are experiencing it for the very first time to give that feedback and, and really listen to it. So I plan on sending them some stuff and, you know, I'll kind of leave it up to them to make some changes, but I was overall, very happy with awesome. uh, the race that they put on and I'm looking forward to being able to race as much as possible, you know, this year and next year. Awesome. Very good. Great to hear. Great to hear. And, and I dig your finisher t-shirt too. Nice. <laughs> and you can't see it. You can only so see it on the video is. here. It's so, probably so not going to be visible. That's good. On the that, 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 I'll, I'll make that screenshot and we'll put it on Instagram. So there you go. Okay. Uh, once again, Ironman Charlie Sprinkles Holder, congratulations on your finish. And, and we appreciate you coming on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Thanks, George. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> okay, so there you have our conversation with uh, Charlie Sprinkles Holder there. I should have told him, and I am going to follow up and tell him and text him. He had those issues with nutrition on the bike because he said that he actually had to. Uh, use different nutrition than what he had planned on. I didn't ask him what nutrition he was actually using. I'm going to follow up and I'm going to suggest he uses Slayer X. So don't forget our, uh, our sponsor of our podcast here, Slayer X. They were actually started by a Ironman triathlete who didn't like all the options that were actually out on course. And so he came up with his own. Um, so I'm going to recommend that for Charlie and I recommend that for all of you as well. So are we going to start to see all the Ironmans come back now? I mean, are, are most of them going to try to? Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I think that so so Ironman is an interesting th corporation. It's an interesting company because it's this worldwide company. But then their their management or their 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 business model is very decentralized. Right. And so so I so I do think it's going to be on sort of a case by case basis. Ironman Cozumel. Um, yeah, I saw that happen in the next also, couple of right? weeks. Um, I, I don't think it's happened yet. I think it's in a week oh. or so. Um, it's about to happen. Yeah. So, okay. so it's, it's, it's set up and is, is going to be going. So that was actually the first Ironman I ever did. Um, and Kona is still scheduled for February. Kona is still scheduled for February. Yeah. So, so, so we'll I mean, don't these professionals have to have races to, mm -hmm. yeah, so there's going to have to be they, a handful of every month. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, so, so Kona already had a handful of qualifiers. Um, one of the striking things about Florida was how fast they all went um, because it's just like in track and field and running that we've seen, like suddenly a race says, Hey, you can come race here and, yeah, people are up, and they race taking um, advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And so, so so the, the times in Florida were super fast. Um, and so, so same sort of thing. Um, but yeah, speaking of Ironman Florida, it's worth mentioning as well. There was a kid named uh, Chris Nickick. Um, and he is a, uh, he's a 21 year old guy, um, has down syndrome uh, and became the first person ever with yeah. down syndrome to, uh, to complete an Ironman race. And so that was amazing. Yeah. Good for him. Um, 
and uh, they actually put him in the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> yeah, I saw <laughs> which is, that. Which is fun. Um, but yeah, he uh, he grew up in Florida. He's from Florida. Um, he, you know, Down syndrome is is not only there's a lot of heart issues, but there's a lot of developmental issues as well um, for for children who are born with Down syndrome. He had open heart surgery when he was five months old, um, and he was really not able to walk well until he was about four years old. He didn't eat solid foods until he was five years old. Um, yeah. And so here he is at age 21, completing a 2.4 mile swim and a 112 mile bike, and then a 26.2 mile run. Um, so, and he said running you, is his uh, favorite event. So, so well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't I even say well, yeah. Most triathletes <laughs> don't say it's their favorite. I, I was going to say it's not most triathletes' favorite event. So, so. so well, they like it more than they like swimming. So nobody likes swimming. Nobody for, likes swimming. <laughs> yeah, swimmers don't even like swimming, but right. but uh, but no, everybody likes cycling. The best cycling is the most fun. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, kudos to him. He did 1646. So we should mention that as well. Lest anybody thinks, oh, well, they probably gave him special. No, they didn't. Not um, so much. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the cutoff at Ironman is 17 hours, you know, you start at seven o'clock in the morning you finish by midnight, 17 hours. And he did 14 minutes under the, uh, under the, the, the cutoff. So good for him. Well done, yeah. Chris. Proud of you, man. So very cool. Very cool. What you been up to? Um, not much. I've got, uh, <laughs> what do I have? Gonna race a 19 mile trail race in December. Is that next month? <laughs> that is next month. And you and I actually both signed up for a 31 mile trail race in January. I know. Why did we do that again? <laughs> uh, well, it's actually the funny thing of you saying, why did we do that again? Is it's not the first time that either of us have signed up for it. <laughs> but neither um, one of us have ever started it (laughs) right yeah I just I mean I think did virtual Boston and got you know took a little bit of time off and now um, I'm just happy to have something on the calendar like I'm just I'm going a little bit stir crazy so Mm -hmm. uh, really just I don't know I have never run at Pine Mountain Um, Mm -hmm. I've also registered for that before and not been able to start it so Mm -hmm. I'm hopefully looking forward to just kind of staying healthy and um, thought about trying to race the public's half marathon and for, you know, go really fast, but I don't know if there'll be time after the 50 K, mm-hmm. but, um, I feel like there's something to kind of look forward to and work towards and it makes worth <laughs> the time getting out on the trails oh, yeah. on the weekend worth it. So, totally. um, yeah, the, 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 the race. So, so the December race you're talking about the pine mountain trail run the 19 mile race. I did that last year. I think I'm yeah. going to be out of town this year. Um, and so I don't think I'm gonna be able to do it this year, but I wanted to do it again this year because I got lost last year and I lost because I got lost. And so, so I kind of feel like I have a score to settle with it, but that's okay. Can you tell us about this again? Cause no, we haven't heard I can't. It. <laughs> Okay. I refuse. Um, but then uh, January is Mount Mist in, in Huntsville, um, which is amongst the 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 sort of well-known um, southeastern ultramarathons. This is this is among them. This is among the, the, the ones that sort of like most established trail runners in the southeast have have run this race. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's got to be a really good reason to go to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this seems like a pretty <laughs> I, I, good reason. I've, I've, I've heard Do we have any listeners that, in Alabama? Sorry, so, so I was gonna say we're just gonna push right past that and uh, and say that, that I've heard good things about the race. I've heard lots of really good things about yeah. the race, and so I resolved that that this year I'm going to run it regardless of the shape that I'm in. The one time before that I did not run it, even though I was signed up for it, is because I didn't feel as if I was I was in good enough shape to run it. Um, this year, I think my fitness will be okay. I don't know if I'll have enough run specific fitness by the time January rolls around, but I'm just going to 
I'm going to toe the starting line regardless of the fitness that I'm in. I've resolved just to make it to the starting line. So, and I'm looking forward to, it. I think we'll have fun. Have you decided what shoes you're going to wear? No, <laughs> this is like a no big... clue. Yeah. And, <laughs> a big and I've spent too much time. I know with this, I know like trying to figure out exactly what shoes to wear. And so, yeah, by all means, listeners, if you are established trail runners um, and you have a shoe suggestion for a trail race where the conditions are pretty unpredictable. So it could be really hot. It could be snowing. (laughs) Um, And the real, the real kicker for me, a a mix of technical and non-technical trails. um, But the last few miles are on very rocky terrain. Yeah. That's the thing that's completely throwing me off. So if anybody has any advice, we will take your advice under advisement. And, and by all means, we will give you a shout out on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Don't um, recommend a shoe that doesn't have a rock plate in it. <laughs> <laughs> or <clears throat> or do, you know, so. So I, I'm of a belief that, that trail shoes, I think, are kind of overbuilt, um, that, that most of them are too much. Um, but I don't know, maybe maybe going to Mountain Mist and trying to wear run in a trail shoe that's not really all that built up will change my mind. But you we'll should see. just try to run it in a Clifton and see how it goes. It's actually, yeah, right. It's not it's, the worst idea. So, uh, well, Clifton has a trail version. If I was going to go to Clifton, I'd just get a Clifton trail. All right. So that actually segues really well into talking about a brand new series that we're going to be starting next week on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Uh, GPS Eric. Who, Eric Hall. Eric Hall, who is one of my Blue Ridge Relay teammates um, and who came on the podcast last year to talk about GPS. Um has graciously accepted our invitation uh, to periodically come on to the uh, Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast and talk to us about tech and gear. Um, and so we're, we're super excited about that, as a matter of fact. So he'll be on here next week and Michelle will be here and I will be here. And we have all sorts of tech questions and gear questions that we want to uh, to talk to Eric about. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, what's going to be your first question for him, Michelle? Uh, I think I'm going to talk about the GPS data from a virtual half marathon that I paced last weekend. Um, my brother-in-law did the Disney wine and dine and we both wear a Coros watch and started side by side and essentially ran two laps around Dunwoody side by side the whole time. And our watches were pretty big difference. I mean, he hit 13.1 miles, a solid minute after I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and he had a goal and my watch was about 82 seconds ahead of his goal. And his watch was only about 22 seconds ahead of his goal. So it was a little stressful for him. (laughs) And it was a little bit stressful for me also, because I had to look at my watch and, you know, kind of estimate he's 40 to 50 seconds behind and then 45 to 55 and 50 to 60. And I was constantly lapping it. (laughs) I think you looked at the data and you were like, what were you doing? No, I totally did. I looked at, I looked at the data and you had all these like 0.076 mile lap splits and I was like what is this I felt Uh, such an obligation to make sure he hit his goal I was not gonna let the GPS you know fluctuation Mm -hmm. throw it off I was like I can do these numbers in my head but it's Mm -hmm. super annoying that I have to so Mm -hmm. I definitely want to hear what he has to say about that right on on. why it is that that you and your brother-in-law running almost in lockstep with one another with the same brand of watch yeah uh, two really different GPS experiences yeah, I'm interested cool. to hear about that. So we're, we're we're ultimately going to be asking about like gear gift ideas for 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 people for for the holidays and stuff. I don't know if we should ask him to do that next week or if we should ask him to do that sometime in December. 
on the one hand, like next week might be too early, but then if we wait until December, it might be too late. I think maybe we should at least broach the topic next week because I think a lot of people buy these uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Uh. Um, I mean, these brands are all going to have some type of big, you know, something and Good point. we might be able to just talk about some of the most popular items or. Right on. Um, Good point. I think Good he can point. probably help us with that. I'm sure right we can on. figure out something else to talk about in December. Ha. We'll be able to figure out lots of things to talk about based on. I mean, the, we could the... just ask him about what you used to do on Friday nights in college and <laughs> stuff like that. So. <laughs> that is not Eric's purpose in coming on the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. Not to right, tell, he could answer tell those stories questions. of the glory days. No, no. He can, he can tell you those as, as we're doing our warm ups beforehand. So, um, uh, but yeah, no, super excited to have Eric on to talk about uh, tech and gear um, and all that sort of thing. And so, so yeah, very excited about that. We're going to be doing that next week. So, oh, and I should say too, like you, you kind of threw out the story there. Congrats, by the way, to your brother-in-law on meeting his goal in the virtual Disney wine and dine and congrats to you pacemaker extraordinaire for bringing him through to that goal. Yeah, we had a plan for, um, him to run his first marathon at Disney in January. And I was hoping to pace him for that. And I think like everything else that's gone out the window this year, that went out and, um, Disney is one of his clients. He works for Coke. So uh, him and a bunch of his colleagues got together and all across the country, a bunch of them did this race virtually. And, um, he's kind of just building back into training and he had a goal and, uh, had a great run, got a horrible cramp and like really fought through it. Um, I was really mean to him. <laughs> Sorry, Brian, <laughs> but, uh, he did it at the end. So I was like, you are going to feel so worthless. If you come in 15 seconds over your goal, like just run. And we had to do a few laps at the end to get his watch to click over. And I was screaming at him and my sister was outside with their kids. And my mom was like, <laughs> I think my mom goes, Michelle totally loves this. Doesn't she? <laughs> So anyway, you're yelling at him in front of his kids. <laughs> I mean, my mom, like there's this video where I'm 10 feet in front of him and I'm literally just like snapping my fingers, like screaming at him to like, get up here. Like, I don't know. Oh, so. that story is so much better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, I didn't say anything that I shouldn't have said in front of little uh, I am going to but... reach out to your mom and definitely get that video. Uh, so. I cannot wait. <laughs> That is such good news. Um, I don't think I like pacing, by the way. <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> but clearly you do it well. I mean, you know, you, you pulled him right to his goal, which is something that some of the other people that were running at the same time he was around the United States probably didn't quite meet. So, you know, yeah. they're, they're probably jealous of the fact that he had a pacing a pacer to do it. You will probably get called upon by some some high level Coke runners over the course of the next year to, to actually pace them at various virtual or in-person races. I hope I just get free <laughs> Disney wine and dine tickets next year. So there you go. <laughs> the well, that, 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 that would be a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. People are finding ways to, to run and compete and all that sort of thing here um, uh, in this sort of gray area that we still continue to find ourselves in. Um, I should mention cycling. We had talked about the cycling um, a little bit, the cycling season, the way that they canceled it early on and then condensed the entire six month cycling season into only three months and had all these races that are well known for happening in the spring ended up happening in the fall. And then they, they jammed up the grand tours all together such that, that the tour of Spain and the tour of Italy actually overlapped one another uh, during the last week of the tour of Italy and the first week of the tour of Spain. Um, incredibly, somehow cycling pulled it off. Um, they had to cancel a race called Perry Roubaix, which is normally in the first week of April. It was set for October 25th and it's in, it's in France. 
um, and they had to cancel that one because cases were spiking in France. Um, but all three Grand Tours, which are three week long races um, where they were testing riders two, three times throughout the course of the race, um, all three Grand Tours were able to make it to actually to their finish lines. Um, and all three of them turned out to be great races. Um, so, so kudos. And how to did the riders fare? Because so how they did they had, fare? Yeah, I mean, didn't some of them stack these races? Or did so yeah i mean it was it was I, i'm looking forward to, to reading a little bit more analysis as um as some journalists start to look back on the season as a whole and start to kind of unpack what happened um you know so many things happened so quickly that there was not a whole lot of time for analysis and, right. and things are still kind of happening right now because teams are folding because they're losing their sponsors and that sort of thing and so this is kind of this very intense time of news and there's there hasn't been this sort of period this this opportunity to sort of take a breath and say, okay, let's reflect on the season as a whole. And I'm actually really excited about that. All three of the grand tours, the tour of France, the, the, the tour of Italy and the tour of Spain were all extremely close. Um, like much closer than they normally are. Um, right. The, the top three finishers of the, of the Volta a España, the tour of Spain all finished uh, within a minute of one another. Um, it's That's normally amazing. not that close. Um, it's, and it's, it's never like really, really far apart, but normally it's a few minutes. Um, and, and for them to all be so close, um, it was just very interesting to see. Um, the look Are there any parallels between that different. and, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say the look of it was much different as you can imagine. Okay. Um, because it, because it was in Europe and riders had committed to trying to maintain the sanctity of this COVID free bubble that they were in, they masked right. very heavily. I mean, as soon as they got off the bike, literally they're, they're coming across the finish line and they're putting masks on and all of their swaniers and all of their helpers and everything, they all had masks on and stuff. They, they got rid of the crowds in a lot of places, particularly in Spain. Um, cause Spain, they only finished that this past week. And so cases start spiking in Europe and Spain's just trying to finish up the tour of, Sp tour of Spain here. Um, they got to where in, in the Volta a España in the tour of Spain, they were having the podium presentations where the winners come out and pretty much the guy was coming out by himself and he had a mask on and he already had his trophy in his hand. Nobody's giving him stuff. Right. Right. And there was, there's nobody in front of him. It was like, it, it looked like, it just like a ghost for a town. photo moment. Like, so, so yeah. And it's just to kind of get those podium pictures. Yeah. And then, and then, and he'd, he'd sort of wave to nobody. Right. <laughs> and then, and then he'd, he'd, he'd go back and, and they would move on to the next town or move on to the next stage. Um, but, but they pulled it off and the racism was great. So, and it was fun to watch. Um, but yeah. So you so, said a bunch of teams are losing their sponsors. Um, yeah. What does that look like? I mean, is that going to be like, are there going to be real ramifications for professional cycling because yeah. of that? Or is it just, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the, 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 there's ramifications on personal levels and then there's ramifications at, I guess, the sports level, you could say. Sure. Um, and so, so the personal level is that a lot of really good riders, uh, a lot of really good cyclists don't have contracts for next year. Either they ha are going to have to take a year off effectively and not compete for a year, or at best, they're going to have to like drop down a division. Um, they're going to have to drop down from the world tour league. They're going to have to drop down like to, to like a continental league is what they call them. So, so uh, where they have smaller, less competitive races, that sort of thing. And so there might be some of that going on um, at the, the level of cycling itself. You know, it's, it's kind of um, cycling sort of odd because it has to gather all of this money to promote itself. I don't guess it's odd. I mean, I guess this is kind of what every sport and every business does. I was going to say. It's, it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of synergistic. That, you, right. know, you, you, you get money and then you funnel that back into marketing and then you get more attention. And then, and, and 
it just doesn't, it doesn't have, at least not outside of the real core area in Europe, outside of Belgium and France and Italy. Outside okay. of Belgium, France and Italy, it doesn't have its own energy. They have to infuse it with energy. Yeah. Um, and um, it's losing some of that energy right now um, because it's losing sponsors. And so it's losing money and it can't like fuel that machine, if you will. Um, and so there might be some, some medium term ramifications for cycling as far as that goes. Cycling had really made a point to try and become a more worldwide sport over the course of the last decade. Um, having their world championships in different places and having their, their, um, having more teams from different parts of the world and, and um, trying to have uh, different major events in different parts of the world. Um, and I think they're going to have to kind of pull some of that back yeah. in, back into the heart of cycling, if you will, um, which Seems is not great. Like the rest of the world weren't really well equipped to right. survive a pandem pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So No, totally. Um, but you know, yeah. And, and, and of course, I mean, as you suggest, cycling is not the only, it's not the only business yeah. or the only industry that's dealing with that. I mean, Lord knows my wife and blue pineapple travel, the travel industry is dealing with that, you know? Um, one out of every 10 people on the planet work somehow related to the travel industry. Um, and that industry has just been decimated by all of this. And so, so yeah, I mean, everybody's trying to, to, to make it back, but, um, but we had hopeful news this week. <laughs> we did have hopeful news so, this week. <laughs> so as soon as Pfizer put out that news that, that they had such a good trial, like literally people started calling my wife um, and, and start trying to book trips and everything. Like I said, I got a text from an athlete that I've coached in the past that wants to do the Flying Pig Marathon in May and now thinks he might be able to do it. So, um, so yeah, hopefully there's, uh, there's some optimism there too. So, sure. so yeah. Um, other ways that people are occupying themselves doing stuff, Des Tober. <laughs> that was a crazy feat. Yeah. Des Linden decided to, she ran whatever the mileage was for the numerical day of the month. So right. on October 1st, she ran one mile. On October 10th, she ran 10 miles. On the 20th, 20 miles, all the way up to the 31 miles on the 31st day of October. And mm -hmm. she did that uh, in Central Park in New York, mm -hmm. actually with New York Roadrunners. Yep. Um, but, Which, and it happened to be on the day did she actually do it? It was the day before, I guess, that the the, the New York City Marathon would have been, right? It was, it, was, it was on the October 31st. The New York City Marathon would have been on November 1st this year. Yeah. I mean, that's just so many miles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, she looked, I mean, she definitely kept it real, I think, on her posts. But yeah. um, that was great to follow. I mean, it just, mm -hmm. it just felt like there was something to follow for the whole month of October. Is she mm -hmm. going to do it? Is she going to do it? And it was kind of mm -hmm. like, of course she's going to do it, mm -hmm. but I can't imagine, you know, it feels like by the time you got to 22 miles, mm -hmm. cause you could do 22, you could do like 14 in the morning, eight in the afternoon, but then and she did do that. And then yeah. when you have to do 23 and then 24 and then 25 and then 26, like then you know, once a month, you run 22 miles and you guys do it every day. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just, I had a friend who was talking about it and, and who was undertaking it and, and he was doing it in October as well. And we were like, why don't you choose February? Because yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> you, you, you joke about how February is three days shorter. It's three days shorter. That's like 90 miles. miles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a big difference. Yeah. In the, in that three days, you would have run 90 fewer miles. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that makes that's a pretty, pretty profound difference. difference. Yeah. So, so are people so, doing yeah. this now? Are there tons of people doing this? Like, do you so, see this so out I, there? So I know a guy who did it back in May, actually. There's a guy from here in Atlanta named Kip Thompson who did it. And he did it to raise money for the Atlanta Community Food Bank. 
Um, okay. And so he, he did it actually pretty early on. Um, and how many days are in May? 30 days in May? 30 days has yeah. to be April, June, and November? Eh? It might be 30. I think there's 31. I think, yeah, there's 31 days in May. Um, you know the so, trick on your knuckles? I, yeah, <laughs> did you learn I did. that when you were a kid? I did, but I still don't have it right. I, did I, you teach your boys? So not yet. I will. Do your boys know how to ride bikes yet? Shut up. Um, <laughs> okay i'll teach them the knuckle thing so if I, I ever get to see them in person again <laughs> how about how about i'll teach them the knuckle thing and you teach them how to ride bikes that's fine i also have to teach my 14 year old how to drive so we could just like knock that out in the same parking lot you so. realize that okay back it up <laughs> your 14 year old i learned to drive when i was 14 and she's also going to learn She's I'm not going to, I don't feel like my son should be lot. learning how to ride bikes in a parking lot where a 14 year old is learning to operate a motor vehicle. No, like <laughs> I'll stop the motor vehicle when I'm done with the driving lesson and then I'll teach them on the bikes. All right, all right. Car, the car will be stationary. I'm just saying it's not in time for multitasking. Um, so, so, well, oh yeah. So my friend Kip, a guy I know named Kip uh, did it in May. And then I hadn't heard a whole lot about it until Des Lennon said she was going to do it in October and then she did it. And so, so we should say, as you said, she started splitting a lot. When she got into the 20, she started splitting a lot of those. Um, and so like she did 21, uh, I think for, for, for 20, for day 27, she did like 21 miles and six miles. And then for yeah. 28, she did 22 miles and six miles or something like that. But then when she got to 31, she ran 31 outright miles. She right. actually, she actually did a 5k, um, like an organized 5k. Then she ran over to, to another Central place Park. to Central Park and then yeah. ran around, around Central Park a whole bunch. So, all right. So now that Des Linden has done her Des Tober here, um, she has announced that she's going to be doing a half marathon in Mississippi in December, around December 12th, called the Mississippi Gulf Coast Half Marathon. Uh, it's going to be her first in-person race since Olympic trials. Olympic trials. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, since yeah. the Olympic trials where she finished fourth, yeah, uh, here in Atlanta on the last day of February, on February 29th of 2020. Uh, yeah, and then along with her is Grayson Murphy. Tell us who Grayson Murphy is. Uh, Grayson Murphy is a uh, professional distance runner turned mountain runner. She started her professional career on the roads and uh, quickly left the roads and went to the mountains. And I think she's 2019 uh, world mountain champion. So they are actually going to both go to Mississippi <laughs> yep. and run this half marathon. And Des was funny when she, you know, made the announcement and she just said something like, well, I don't know how fast I can go, but I'm pretty confident that I can cover the distance. Um, <laughs> so, but I think kind of, you know, speaking to the athlete that you coach that wants to run a race in May, I mean, if Des is going to go to Mississippi to run a half marathon in person, I think if you really want to run a marathon in May, there's going to be something out there. Mm -hmm. Um, that you can probably show up to and run in person. Who knows? I think so too. Is, but, um, I think so too. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's stuff out there now. Um, if you yeah. really want to do things now, I, I think so many of us are trying to figure, okay, how bad do we want to do something? Um, and, and given how bad we want to do something, what are we willing to do? And I don't mean in terms of safety. I mean, in terms of types of events, do you know sure. what I mean? Um, sure. And so, like, if you're like, the only thing I want to do is the Boston Marathon. Well, you're going to be waiting for a little while, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but if you're just kind of looking to do something, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm the opposite of that. Um, that I that, am also. So that I I've just when... been like, hey, sign me up. I'll do kind of whatever as long as it's safe. I mean, I'm in this yeah. Zwift racing league right now on a bike, 
You know, I mean, that's, this is not what I thought I was going to be doing at this point uh, last year, you know? Um, But, but I just have been willing to try anything just in order to scratch the itch in order to find the flow state as our friend Katie Arnold says. Um, But yeah, by the way, uh, we should mention the one plus two plus three plus four plus five, all those miles over the course of October, that's 496 miles total. Um, she had never run by the way, according to the New York times, uh, Deslin had never run more than 130 miles a week before the third week of her challenge where she ran almost 150 miles. Um, and then of course the fourth week of the challenge was the biggest one. (laughs) So, so she had her two biggest weeks ever and they were right in a row. (laughs) So I like that. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. Good for her. Good for Brooks. Good for just the running community at large. (laughs) Tierney Wolfgram did something. Yeah. So Tierney Wolfgram, uh, she left high school early. She's 17. She runs for the university of Nevada. Uh, she raced here in the Olympic trials and she had hoped to break the junior American record in the marathon. She had a disappointing race. She finished 37th. And at the time she had said, you know, she was a disappointing to race to finish 37th. in The Olympic trials as a 16 year old. Was she 16? Yeah. yeah. She was 16. Then she qualified as a 15 year old. Didn't she? I do think so. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Um, keep going. Not positive about that. Anyway. So I think, you know, she wanted to really be part of a team and leave the marathon behind. And after February's race, she had said, I'm not doing this again until I'm 22. But I think that, uh, university of Nevada, when, you know, they had hoped to bring the athletes back and then, uh, the NCAA canceled the cross country season. I think that she realized there might be this opportunity to just kind of do something, that she would not ordinarily have been able to do if she had been running cross country uh, with her college team. And I think she still felt a little bit of the sting from not uh, erasing that junior American marathon record. So she went out and uh, she had two other people with her. Yeah. She, she had a couple of uh, teammates, a couple of guys couple on the team. Guy teammates, Pacer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she ran a blistering 231. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. She ran yeah. 230. She yeah. 231. Smashed that record. <laughs> yeah. I'm right on. So, good for her. She said she's good with it now. She said she's going to go back to not running a marathon until she's 22 again. So <laughs> see what happens. Her, uh, her, her teammates that were pacing her cause the coach had given them pretty strict instructions to run 555 pace. And, oh yeah. And, and they started at like 547 exactly. or something. Like, well, well she, she kept pushing up between them. Right. And like, yeah. like, and, and, and we kept picking the pace back up again. And so they'd have to kind of drop it down to 547 and, and in order to keep her behind them. Yeah. Um, and, and I think so, they yeah. were frustrated. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But. So they, 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 they're not quite the, uh, the, the assertive pacer that you are, Michelle. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you had been pacing her, she would run exactly what she was told to run. <laughs> I mean, I think the goal is just to, you know, get the person to the goal. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure uh, they feared that she would fly and die, mm-hmm. um, but she didn't at all. So no. yeah, she did. Great. I don't yeah. know what happens to a 17 year old that, you know, has already spent a few years running 120 plus miles a week and is that yeah. fast, but it'll be interesting to see the longevity in the sport. If she dials it back and her mm-hmm. college coaches, you know, just keep her kind of steady at what a typical college female would run and see where she kind of goes after that. She'll be fun to follow the next few years. I think so too. I hope she does dial it back um, because I would like to see her continue. She to wants well. to. I mean, I, I yeah. think she's, I think she wants to run for many years and mm-hmm. she seems to be, even though she's, you know, already gone way up in mileage and, and run these times, I, she seems to have an understanding that, you know, the progression is going to majorly plateau. So if she has four years and she can do something different and be part of a team and help a team, 
I think she's excited enough about that that I hope she sticks with that. So right on, right on. Jordan Hesse ran a marathon or a half marathon last weekend, right? A pathetic half marathon, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Michelle. <laughs> well, I don't know. When you have the second fastest American marathoner ever, and she's been hyping this build up to the Valencia Marathon in December, and she went out to the same trail in Oregon that you know Sarah Hall ran a half marathon PR and. Uh, Galen Rep was out there a few weeks ago. He didn't run a PR for his half, but he did set a 10 mile American record. Um, and she said that her marathon training is going great and she feels great. And I think uh, most people were expecting her to go a little bit faster than a 114 or a lot faster. Um, but I don't know what to say about her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll just see. She can't seem to find some consistent, you know, she's just always struggling with consistency. Like when she's mm -hmm. on, she's just so good. Yeah. Um, but you only get one race like that every few years from her. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll be hoping for good things for her when she races in person in Valencia. So, yeah. Um, but, but next month we'll be talking a little bit about that. And then tell us about the marathon project. Uh, the marathon project is going to be in December. Um, it's got 50 male professional runners and 50 female professional runners. Ben Rosario from uh, Nazalie basically went out with a few people and uh, found somebody, an Indian reservation, um, and they were willing to host a race and they got the course certified. And, you know, I mean, people from all over the world were trying to come, but they limited it to Americans only. Mm -hmm. um, they did actually make an exception for BD Deutsch from Israel. They were going to let her come in. Um, she's a little bit injured now, so I don't know if she's going to be able to run. But anyway, so we are going to see a bunch of really fast people there. Um, pretty much, you know, Kellen Taylor will be there. Steph Bruce will be there. Sarah Hall's gonna come back from London and try to run even faster than she did in London. So I think it's gonna be a great show of, you know, American distance running. And once again, I think these athletes are just happy to be able to put something on their calendars, you know, put their kit on, represent their sponsors and try to run really fast. Mm -hmm. December 20th. Um, so December 20th, just before Christmas, we will be seeing whether uh, whether these folks can or how fast they can run in the marathon project. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I was telling you right before we came, we, we started recording that that we haven't had a podcast where we where you and I just sort of said, OK, what are people doing in this weird time? Like we right. haven't had a podcast like that in a while. And, and yeah. we had a few of them in a row, like when all this started five or six months ago. Right. Um, but and it was a lot then, of Everstein on a bike. And now so. <laughs> it feels like the runners have finally so, found their stride. So, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Um, and, and the, the, the cyclists got to actually go back out and race a little bit um, um, in, in some approximation of what their normal racing would be. But, but yeah, it's, it's um, I, I think it's interesting that, that, I wouldn't have, I don't think any of us expected us to still be in November having a conversation about, okay, so what innovative and different things are people doing in order to scratch the racing itch right now? Um, but you know, you run where you are, um, yep. and, and, and you kind of make do, um, like, like Katie Arnold said. So I, uh, I, as you well know, and as everybody who listens to that interview knows, I, I very much appreciated that. And I thought it was very poignant and appropriate for, for this historical moment. Um, yeah. All right. I've been reading some research too, but, but we've been talking for a while about all the various things that are going on in our lives and in, and in running. And so, so I'll save that for, for some other time, maybe in a couple of weeks after we've already had GPS Eric next week. Um, yeah. It's so, not earth shattering research anyway. So. It is earth shattering. Um, <laughs> it is like not, most research okay. is. Um, um, 
Michelle, final words? Um, yeah, I'm really excited to bring Eric on next week, actually. I think we're going to have a really good time giving you a hard time. Um, and <laughs> That's the only reason why you're excited about it. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm just glad that there was a little bit of a break in between uh, the your my wife and you giving me a hard time in the last podcast and then oh, you and Eric teaming about... up on me on the next podcast. Should so. we talk about your vegan lasagna dinner this week? Really? I like... made another vegan lasagna and you were not invited to enjoy it. <laughs> and neither was Lauren. <laughs> and neither was Lauren because my family was in quarantine. Super. Um, so was it good? Like it was what great. were... Did everyone eat it or? So, well, I mean, I have six year old <laughs> boys. They, they, they were not all that fired up about it, but, um, but no, they, they, they actually, they, they had, they had mixed feelings about it. One of them really liked it. And one of them was, was kind of wishy-washy on it, but my wife liked it a lot. As a matter of fact. Um, Will it become like a staple or is it kind of just, all right, we tried George's vegan lasagna and we're good. No, I, no, no. She liked it a lot actually. Okay. Um, and so, so, so we, we ate it on Sunday night. She had the leftovers on Monday and she had the rest of the leftovers on Tuesday. I, okay. I never had any, I never had any leftovers. She, she ate wow. all the leftovers. Yeah. So that so, seems like a good report to me. So, so I think so too. The proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Um, and so, so yes, uh, that is, that will be my final word is ha <laughs> on the vegan lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. And thanks for being here, Michelle. Bye. <laughs>